Hi, I'm Deirdre Valden and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. Viruses pay no attention to borders, race, nationality or gender. They are the shared enemy of all humanity. And so will be a shared enterprise of all humanity that finds a treatment and a vaccine that protects us. One of the striking things about this virus is just how little we understand it. As it tightens its grip on the world, the race to find a vaccine is happening at breakneck speed. It is a huge combined effort by countries, institutions and researchers from around the world. So how long will it take for one to be developed and who is making the most progress? I asked Science and Environment Editor Kevin O'Sullivan. Kevin, all of us are becoming experts at the moment in how coronavirus behaves, but can you take a moment uh, maybe to explain to us how we can get it? Well, it's a classical virus and it's highly infectious. And the problem is that it, it has a high degree of infectivity. So it's transmitted in the form of droplets in effect in the air. And then it sticks to surfaces. So, you know, if you put your hand on a surface, uh, you're going to transmit it if you put it up to your face, to your eyes. Um, and that's the problem. It's not, it seems to spread much more quickly than f a classical flu. And it also affects people differently. So if you're very young, you might have no symptoms at all, but you could be a, you know, a very strong vector for spreading the disease. And then if you're older, you're much more susceptible to this particular coronavirus. And even within age group, an older age group, they, they, it can affect them differently, which is, is part of its bizarre nature. And that, that makes treatment much more difficult. But there are obvious things to do to curtail its transmission, and that is isolation, containment and uh, physical distancing. And they, they're shown to work. And unfortunately, we don't have a vaccine yet. And there are, there's a series of possible antiviral agents that might work with it, but they're not readily available. So these are the only measures left to us as of now. What needs to happen in order for a vaccine to come about and, and how long do you think that'll take? Well, the good thing is, let's get some good news into this. The good news is that there's a remarkable amount of work happening all over the world on the vaccine. In Seattle today, the first patients were given shots in a clinical trial of a potential vaccine for COVID-19. About two dozen potential vaccines are being developed around the world. And it involves a remarkable degree of cooperation between countries, institutions and individual researchers who are all sharing data. And the work so far is way faster than anything that's ever happened in terms of a vaccine in the past for a different condition. Uh, and that's the really brilliant news. And as a consequence, we're making progress much quicker than, than say, for example, with SARS in the past or other similar conditions. So that's the good thing. There's probably about five or six possible contenders at the moment. And again, they're making progress. But the problem is that they have to go through testing in humans. And there's a very strict protocol to do that. So the best bet is it will, it will take a year and probably 18 months if the luck is with us. So the problem is, though, that there's no guarantees on that. And the, the regulators, and in effect, you're talking about the FDA and the US and the European Medicines Agency, they're the key people who say, OK, go test it on humans and then approve it for, for, for widespread use. You know, they, there's big pressure on them to, to really push ahead and, and to, to reduce 
demanding conditions in the past for, for clinical trials, uh, but they can't compromise the risk. And if they, they jump too early, there's a risk that the vaccine will be not as good as it should be. So it's a very complex, very difficult situation for them weighing up all, all the issues. That said, there, there's a German biotech company called CureVac, which seems to be ahead of most. It's ready to start testing in humans. And they say they'll be ready to really activate a proper trial from June or July with a view to getting approval for, for a wider testing of the vaccine, probably in September, and then to have it available by the end of the year. Now, that's requiring that everything will go really well for them. The EU has has wrote in saying it will give them the necessary finance to build a man manufacturing plant you know, in, in record time. It was very important for us. It's a European company. We wanted to keep it in Europe. It wanted to stay in Europe. It was very important to give it the necessary funding, and that has happened. But again, there's no guarantees on this. The, the indications are promising in terms of, of using the vaccine in, in lab animals. So, uh, but... Again, it, it will require care, careful evaluation. An added complication to that is the phases that are required when you're doing clinical trials. The three phases. The first one involves with us, you know, we testing on a small group of humans, um, and it might last for up to two months. The second one then involves specific testing in humans to test, the, you know, for unusual reactions, for for impact on those that have a, a prior illness or condition that are immunosuppressed. And then the third phase, which is the critical phase, requires testing in large numbers. So you're trying to build a vaccine that would be used globally. So in that case, you have to test on tens of thousands of people, which is a remarkable ask and very difficult. And then you have the scenario where you must test in populations where there is normal disease transmission. And we're in an abnormal situation at the moment where most people are in isolation or lockdown. So that's not the, the normal situation for testing a vaccine. Individuals should work from home unless attendance at the workplace is absolutely essential. And social gatherings of individuals outdoors should be of no more than four people unless all are from the same household. And the great irony is that we might have to go back to China to do those phase three clinical trials. So um, it won't be an easy one to, to resolve because you know, if you have a scenario where the disease is expanding in a country, it'd be very hard to test it there because the other factors are going to kick in. Then just to give a quick reference to other vaccine contenders, there's another one in the US in Seattle that's going to be tested on humans with FDA approval and supervision. There's one in Imperial College, London, that's been progressing well, and there's one in Australia. Now, there are others, but they're the obvious ones. From France to China, Australia, the United States and the UK, there are now more than 40 different potential vaccines under development. So, you know, we hope that one of those will deliver. But if you talk to any, you know, well-known sort of immunologist in the field, they, they, they would say to you, you know, we would be lucky to get one within that, that 12 to 18 month period. So it looks like China may be a, a very good source for, certainly a, as a place to run clinical trials. Um, what else have we been seeing from the Chinese experience? Well, just firstly to say, you know, China has been kind of ostracized in certain quarters, you know, because of where disease originated. 
But, it, you know, China has responded at another level in a really amazing way. For example, they, they sequenced the virus in terms of its genetic makeup and they released that to the world in January, which enabled a whole series of research efforts to be ratcheted up really quickly to, to examine the infectivity, how it, how it affects other people, what symptoms there are, what possible tests there might be. That, that, that was a remarkable gesture. As you know, as soon as the virus started, the um, identification of the pathogen was a record time. But not only that, the pathogen was sequenced and the genome was shared immediately so that other countries can use it. They are in a global network where they're releasing results of, of trials that they have done, you know, in a scenario where where the disease was spreading rapidly and again that has been really useful and it's you know it's informing you know research elsewhere and, and development and um, for example there's a drug that is used in japan which is used to treat novel forms of flu and that that has worked very well in a small group of i think it's about 400 patients in china so again that's another potential avenue to explore as, a, as an antiviral agent in effect. Um, so that network is really working well on a global scale and, and the Chinese are playing a, a leading role in that. And they're also doing other practical things in terms of giving support by way of equipment, personal protection equipment, in terms of personnel and uh, to, to the rest of the world. And I think you know, they have to be given credit for that. The WHO has said it's overseeing tests at the moment of four of the most promising treatments. WHO has launched the Solidarity Trial to generate robust, high-quality evidence as fast as possible. Including uh, malaria treatment and a, a new antiviral, actually, which was initially proposed uh, for use against Ebola. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's about 35 research projects that are working on significant antivirals and um, some of them are more promising than others. Unfortunately, some of them uh, that are attracting big headlines are only seen to be successful so far in small numbers. So we can't sort of say this is a guaranteed uh, treatment and we have to temper expectations. And uh, chloroquine, which is used in as an anti-malarial, that's the obvious one. You know, there are indications it could be, but it, you know, at scale, that hasn't been proven. And unfortunately, certain people, notably uh, Donald Trump, are hyping it at the moment. This has been prescribed for many years for people to combat malaria, which was a big problem, and it's very effective. It's a strong, it's a strong drug. I feel good about it. That's all it is, just a feeling. I, you know, I'm a smart guy, and I'm not being overly optimistic or pes pessimistic. Uh, let's see what happens. We have nothing to lose. You know the expression, what the hell do you have to lose? Now, the good thing about antivirals is that they can be tested a lot quicker. In other words, the, the restrictions are not as, um, they're not as stringent and, uh, as, uh, as in the case of a vaccine that you're trying to develop. So in other words, that you can get it to market quicker, you can do the research quicker. It's easier to get money to do it because there's a better guarantee of success in, in many ways. Uh, and then you can get your approval. So uh, that, that's that's a, a significant positive. But I, I would contend that you have to do both. You have to 
you know, accelerate work on developing a vaccine and concentrate on doing antivirals. The other element of research that's really critical is to develop uh, tests for people who have had possibly had had the disease. In other words, these are known as blood tests in the form of um, searching for antibodies, because that really gives you great focus in terms of saying who's who's ready to go back into the population, who's ready to into the general population, who's ready to go back to work in a healthcare setting, and then also informing about where disease is, and also in terms of researching about how antibodies could be used in in, ter- in terms of other treatments. So th- in a sense, then you have three sort of three frontiers of research that you must pursue. And, and doing all of them at the same time. How far are we away, in your view, from uh, people being able to self-test? I, I'd be more positive about that. And um, I know that there's issues about, you know, the logistics of getting adequate testing equipment. But I, I, I see particularly in America, there's very interesting work on that. And I'm sure the Chinese are doing work on that as well. Um, and and like it's not that complex as uh, as the director of the national virus reference lab in ucd um has indicated it's like it's like a flu test and you, you just need to be careful to do the to get your sample properly uh from the nasal or, or from your nasal passage or from your throat so i think you know that that's that's going to happen i think it's only a question of time and that's a good thing okay listen that's brilliant kevin thanks a million My thanks to Declan Connan who produced today's podcast and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>